Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of ENT in a Nutshell, part of headmirror.com. I'm Jeff Meekham, and today we will be discussing the challenging but important topic of what options are available to otolaryngology residency applicants who find themselves in the difficult situation where they go unmatched. To join us in our discussion, we welcome a current otolaryngology program director, Dr. Mark Wax. To introduce our guest, Dr. Wax has over 15 years experience as a residency program director at multiple institutions, including his current position as program director at a highly regarded otolaryngology residency program. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience into the match process and has mentored trainees at all stages as they strive to reach their career goals. We're very fortunate to have Dr. Wax with us on the show today. So before we begin, Dr. Wax, is there anything you'd like to say to applicants who might not have matched or to all applicants in regards to planning ahead to potentially not matching? I think that um, in this day and age, and especially uh, given how the match um, was diff- so, so much different this year because it was uh, virtual versus uh, being personal, that um, uh, nobody really knows what the outcomes are going to be or what the numbers are going to be. Um, but it does appear that there was a significant number of individuals uh, that applied for the match uh, this year uh, as compared to the number of spots that are available, which uh, would imply that um, there are going to be a certain number of people that um, are not going to match. Uh, and this is a, it's very hard to predict who that's going to be. And it's a terrible situation for um, for the individual and uh, can be quite challenging. And I think um, like most things uh, in life, if you have a backup plan, uh, even if you're absolutely positive and uh, it's better to have a plan uh, and throw it away and say, I wasted the time developing that than it is to suddenly get that phone call from the Dean's office on Monday saying, uh, look, um, looks like uh, things didn't quite work out. So uh, first of all, though, you got to remember that, um, uh, the people that don't match, uh, it's a, a certainly a, to some extent a vagary of the way the system works, uh, and it's never a, a reflection on uh, on you and and how good a candidate you are. Uh, we unfortunately have been in the position where we've either not matched or we've had a resident leave the program uh, and we have uh, had to go out and fill those spots. And it has always been amazing to me that the uh, quality of the people that are out there uh, and available for whatever reason did not match. So it's never a reflection on you or, uh, you know, your qualities. It's just, uh, uh, I wish I could explain it. Um, It certainly doesn't mean that things are over. There are some years when there are no, um, there are no vacancies and then there's some years when there's a lot of vacancies. So um, uh, just because you didn't match doesn't mean that uh, everything is over from an otolaryngology perspective, uh, both in the immediate time frame, uh, depending on how the SOAP process goes, or even uh, later on, depending on what choices you decide you want to do. So uh, it's good to have a plan uh, and you should be prepared. Uh, if you don't get the phone call, great. But if you do get the phone call, it's, it's good to have a plan because things move pretty rapidly. Great. So I think the first question is, when exactly is it that applicants find out officially that they have not matched? Uh, That'll be on Monday. Um, I believe it's uh, next Monday. So students will find out, um, I think it's at uh, about 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time, or I guess that's 8 o'clock Western Time. It'll tell you if you you have not matched. 
Um, the medical school usually knows uh, earlier than that, and I suspect that the medical school is going to be reaching out. It's all on a strict time frame, so the medical school will reach out around the same time to let you know you're not matched. Would you mind starting by giving us a list of some of the potential options available to applicants who do not match? And then later on in the episode, we can go into each in greater detail. Well, um, so I think it really falls into uh, um, three options. Um, The first option is to say, um, I didn't make it this year and I gave it a shot, uh, but I'm going to follow through with uh, whatever my uh, backup plan was. uh, And so you're not going to do otolaryngology and and you apply to some other subspecialty or specialty, whether it's surgery, medicine, whatever it is, but you apply to something else through the uh, SOAP uh, process. Um, The second option is to see what's out there. Um, If it's one of those years where all the ENT spots uh, fill, then you're going to have to go into, you're going to then either have to decide whether you're not going to do otolaryngology and you're going to go into a different specialty uh, or if you're going to reapply for the next year. Um, And I think it really is a branching point at those two uh, points. Great. Well, let's start and talk a little bit more about SOAP. So what exactly is SOAP or the Supplemental Offer and Acceptance Program and how exactly does it work? Well, so the terminology depends on um, how old you are. So I'm an old guy now. So this is the scramble to me. Uh, soap, I think, probably sounds better than scramble. Uh, but if you hear people referring it to it as the scramble, um, that's just what we used to call it for uh, many years. It's a uh, program that the uh, resident matching uh, system uh, developed so that uh, we could uh, put together both the programs that did not match and the uh, medical students or uh, applicants that did not match. Uh, And rather than have a long, drawn-out process, it's supposed to, as fairly as it can, uh, get everybody matched up so that uh, if you don't have a program, you get one. And if you're a program and you don't have a resident, that you get one at the same time. So it's supposed to bring both parties together in uh, some semblance of order uh, and get it done rather quickly so that uh, people can know where they're going and what's going on. In terms of uh, how does it work, uh, if you don't match, then you'll get an email uh, stating that you did not match. Uh, Programs will get an email uh, either saying that they matched everything or that they didn't match. As a program, you decide uh, at the, I guess, many months ago whether you're going to participate in uh, the uh, SOAP program, Uh, and I think most programs uh, uh, do participate. Uh, And if they do participate, then they're obliged to, you know, follow through with the program. Um, So what happens is the applicants uh, then, uh, if you're in the SOAP program, then you can, uh, you submit your application to an unfilled program through the AAMC uh, ERAS system. Uh, and so for each round, you can submit um, as many applications to eligible programs. Um, I th- there's, there's usually not very many. So, And then once the programs receive the applications, then the, the programs are going to uh, look through the applications that they get 
determine uh, who they want to contact for an interview, and then they will reach out to those applicants starting, uh, I guess it's at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time, so noon Western time uh, on uh, the same Monday. So that means there's a four-hour window there from the time that uh, the applicant can find out they didn't match to the time where programs are going to have all their uh, applications in. So uh, it's important that if you think that you're not going to match uh, or if you're going to build up your backup plan, that you have everything lined up and you know know what you're going to want and who you're going to need to contact Um if you get the news Monday morning, um, because the programs uh, are going to be reaching out, they you know they have a vested interest to try and find a candidate, and the, obviously the applicants have a vested interest to try and find a program. Yeah, it's a very complicated process, and I would refer any of our listeners to the NRMP's SOAP for Applicants video to go over the timeline and specific logistics of the SOAP. But more specifically, what types of SOAP positions and options are available to applicants applying to otolaryngology who go unmatched? So if you're going to apply, so people that you participate that are participating in SOAP, um, you know, you can uh, you can match to a unfilled ENT spot. Um, and that's variable. Um, most years, there's a few. I think there was one year where there were like more than 10, but usually there's uh, anywhere from zero to three spots. Um, And any applicant that doesn't match is going to apply to those. So having been in that situation before, the number of people that apply can be, uh, there's, there could be quite a few that will apply to those spots Uh, or you can match into a different specialty. So if you were on the fence or if um, your discussions with your program director or your advisor said, well, you know, your chances are okay, um, then maybe you've given it a shot and decided that, uh, you you know, you don't want to do anything further. uh, And then you can match into a different specialty. And most applicants for uh, otolaryngology are highly qualified for multiple other specialties. So it's usually at least in my experience with the people I've dealt with, they've had not had much of a problem in terms of finding another spot uh, somewhere else. Uh, or you can uh, match into a, uh, a preliminary uh, or a, uh, um, a transitional year. Um, you know, the preliminary years uh, are where you're, you're not going into a program. You're just sort of you're filling up one year of your training. Uh, and it usually means you're going to have to find something to do after that one year of training. Um, you know, the key is that if you're going to apply again for otolaryngology, you have to say, what is it that's going to make me different? Uh, when you applied to medical school, if you didn't get in, one of the first things that people ask you when you reapply is, you know, what did you do that made your application different than what it was last year? Um, so that's going to be the key factor is you got to say, what is it, uh, that makes me different because the applicant pool is always very good. So you have to be able to change your application or you have to be able to grow, uh, your application. Um, and that can be hard if you choose to go into a different specialty and apply again. When you say it might be hard to go in, are you referring to hours that go into it and working in uh, an intern position and maybe a preliminary or transition spot? 
Yeah, you know, remember that um, the application site usually opens in September. You know, this year was funny because of uh, the virtual and because of COVID. And I think the application site didn't open till October, but uh, most of the time it opens in September. So once the site opens, people are starting to look at um, applications. Uh, If you finish medical school in May, but if you start your PGY one year uh, at the end of June, then you've really only got two or three months to be able to do something to improve your application. So um, many people, they get the news that they're not, that they didn't get accepted. And then by the time they get around to reapplying, you know, months have gone by, uh, April, May, June disappear. And then you start your PGY one year. And I can tell you your PGY one year is very busy. Um, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're now into clinical medicine, you're taking care of patients, the hours are long. And so it's hard to be able to do things to improve your application, whether it's through research publication or doing, you know, any of those other, um, activities. And maybe just one more question about that in regards to preliminary or a transitional spot in surgery versus medicine. Do you think that one over the other would be most beneficial for someone who's applying to ENT? Um, I would say you'd need to do a transitional surgery year. Um, uh, honestly, I'm not sure that there's a vast difference in the technical skill set or you know what your knowledge base is going to be. Um, but um, I think the the just the gestalt as people looked at the application would be if you wanted to be a surgeon, you should have done a surgery year. If you choose to do something like emergency medicine or internal medicine, um, then it's the just the, the vibe is going to be, well, why, you know, I guess you really didn't want to be a surgeon. Otherwise, you would have done surgery. So you, you really are, you're, you're going to have to do, do surgery if you're going to do another year. So for those who decide to pursue a SOAP option into a specialty other than ENT, do you know, do they need to have different personal statements or letters of recommendation that are ready prior that are targeted towards those specialties? Or can they use the same ones that they use to apply to ENT? Um, Usually most of your connections are going to be in the ENT field. Um, you may have done some research or you may have developed a good relationship with someone that's a non-otolaryngologist, but I would say that most applicants have developed the relationships and spent the time with otolaryngology. And um, I think that that's part of what the SOAP option is. So as a program director, um, we're all ready on the Monday that should any of our students um, not match into otolaryngology that we're available to, you know, assist them and help them, at least in the institutions where I've worked. Um, so uh, I think a different letter is something that um, is what you'd want. So uh, I would say my students, uh, if they don't match and they're going to pursue a non-ENT spot that, you know, I'm not going to say I'm just sitting here at my desk waiting for the phone to ring, but, you know, I, I am basically, you know, just, just waiting to hear. And if they, if they go, I tried, I'm not going to go into ENT. I want to go into general surgery. There's a spot uh, here at OHSU. Uh, and I think this happened to me, you know, I know a number of years ago, then I'm all ready to, you know, transcribe and write up a new letter um, that, uh, you know, describes the student versus the letters that they got from nine months ago.
So I think that they will want to get, you will want to get something that is more current and up to date than the letters that were part of your ERAS because they're almost a year old. So moving on to our next section, let's talk about some of the options that are available to applicants who cannot or choose not to SOAP. So I know that some unmatched students end up choosing to delay graduation from medical school. Would you be able to talk about why students might choose to delay graduation and some of the pros and cons involved with choosing to do so? So if you're not going to participate in SOAP, then, um, you know, that's an excellent alternative is to delay your graduation. Um, in terms of, um, you know, obviously you have to check. So some schools will allow you to take a year of research. So you could spend a year doing research. Um, so you'd have to check and see if that's something that your school will let you do. Some schools are going to say, you know, sorry, you're going to have to graduate. Um, the pro is that if you're a medical student, you can do away rotations. And obviously last year that was irrelevant because nobody did away rotations. But if you're a medical student, then you're allowed to participate in patient care. So um, you can come to my institution and you can participate as a uh, extern or as a visiting medical student. So you can see patients, you can come into the operating room, you can be a uh, you get a much better experience and then wherever it is that you're going is going to be able to get a much better viewpoint of who and what you are. If you're not a medical student, then, uh, then you, you can't get in, you can't have direct patient care. Then you're just doing a shot. Then you're just shadowing. Uh, and that is an entirely uh, different experience. Uh, and some institutions, uh, medical students have no problem, you know, getting uh, a badge that gets them everywhere and lets them participate with everything. And some institutions, uh, it's much more difficult uh, as a um, as a non-medical student to get that kind of patient care access and that kind of interaction. Uh, in terms of the detriments to it, you know. There's the year you're not, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something with your loans. Um, you are going to, it does delay your medical uh, uh, graduation so you don't graduate with your class. Um, but again, if, if the price is, that's the price you pay uh, to be able to get into otolaryngology later on, then, you know, it seems well worth it. For students who choose to try and do a research year after going unmatched, like you talked about, what kind of options are available and what kind of things should they be looking for in choosing where and how to do research? There are, there are many uh, different ways of uh, doing research. There are uh, clinical research and basic science research. Um, and I think that what you need to do is you need to examine your situation and say, what is it that's going to make my application um, better. Um, you know, what is it that's going to make me different next time I apply than what I was this time? So you have to look at your resume. Um, I think that you're going to probably ask me about feedback. Um, you you want to be able to go and get some feedback as to why your application uh, didn't get you a spot. Uh, and I'll tell you that that's very hard because very few people are going to sit you down and say, you know, listen, you just weren't, you know, you're just not as smart as everybody else, or you just did this, you did that. It's, it's hard for people to give, um, you know, bad news to people. Uh, 
So you, you're going to need to be able to find someone in the department or somewhere that's going to be able to look at your application and say, um, you know, you gave it a shot. It's just you're not going to be able to, you know, bring yourself up to what the level of competition is. And that's very hard. Um, and if if you can bring yourself up and it was just one of those things with the match, then you need to look at your application and see where is where are the voids or where is there something that you're strong and you can you know make it uh, even stronger. And so those are going to be either a clinical research position or a, a basic science research position. Uh, and that's then going to depend somewhat on what your connections are and where your institution is. So your institution may have great basic science uh, and you'll be able to find a spot there. Uh, and um, again, uh, if that lets you interact in a clinical basis and it lets you get some clinical experience and exposure and keeps up your activity, then that's great. Um, there are a number of institutions that have research fellowships, uh, and I think those are, you can get those through uh, ERAS, through Otomatch, uh, or speaking with your program director. They usually have an idea of uh, some of the institutions that offer that kind of uh, experience. And what you're going to need to look for is you want to look for something that, again, I, you know, I keep harping on it, is going to make you different than what you are, you know, this year. Um, so there's got to be some uh, ability to be productive. Uh, you want to be able to get on some funding. You want them to have a track record of being able to assist uh, in uh, getting you spots. And most of that is going to depend on how much that you can accomplish in a relatively short period of time. Because again, remember, you're going to be starting these places in June and your application is going to be coming in in September. So you've only got three, four months to be able to start to say, here's what I'm starting to do. Well, I guess another thing, so other than participating in SOAP and taking maybe what be considered a research year. Are there any other options or things that you've heard of people doing that applicants might do to strengthen their application before the next cycle? Um, well, so there's doing the research year as part of medical school, and then there's the one where you graduate from medical school, but you do the same sort of research year. Um, so you would, you would do a clinical or a basic science year, but you would no longer be a medical student. Um, you'd be doing it through, um, you know, at a different institution or maybe your institution offers it. What would you say to applicants in regards to building a network, changing or getting new letters of recommendation, rewriting personal statements and other things like that? Uh, I think it's, it's going to be important um, to get new letters of recommendation. Um, again, you got to look and you got to go, what is it that I can change to make me a better applicant? And, you know, if you had great letters of recommendation and they didn't get you in the first time, you got to examine and say, well, you know, can I do better than that? Um, getting letters of recommendation from away rotations uh, at least from my personal perspective, uh, is a key because the person that you're spending time away from, you know, when you're outside your own institution, they have no real vested interest in you. They've, you come, you do the elective, and they are going to give you a more honest appraisal than someone from your home institution or, you know, someone that you're in the lab. Obviously, if you work with me in my lab, I have a vested interest to get you a spot, you know, to, to help you build and to try and get you a job, so to say. Um, if you come here as an away rotation and I write you a letter, I'm going to go, 
you know, this is what he did. And it's usually a more honest appraisal. Um, so getting those away letters uh, can be quite strong. It also lets you get uh, that uh, connections and that mentorship at uh, different um, institutions. Your personal statement, it's always good to, you know, get that looked at and rewritten. Um, you want to get some good positive feedback or I'm not positive because if, if it was all positive, then you wouldn't be in this situation. You want to get some good, honest feedback as to what you might have possibly not done as well on uh, when you were doing this application process. And maybe it's your interview skill set. Um, you know, and then you might want to be doing some uh, mock interviews. Um, you know, maybe it's you have some personal habits that just turn people off when you're interviewing. Um, just these types of things that you want to start to look at and say, is there something that I could change here? Dr. Wax, do you know how reapplicant status affects the chances of matching in a subsequent year for those who are reapplying? I think it depends on, you know, what they do. Um, Again, you know, I think I keep emphasizing you need to be able to say what it is that uh, made you different um, from your previous application. Um, And it's clear, you know, when I look through applications, it's clear that uh, someone didn't get in and they're going off and they're doing their research and their their application looks entirely different because they've addressed how to try and make it look different and how to, you know, improve it on many different levels. Uh, And then there's applications that uh, look unchanged. Maybe there's one or two things that are different than what it was the previous year. Uh, and I'll tell you, those applications, don't they don't go very far. Um, the quality of students that apply is, is very high. And so if you didn't get in in one year, then you're competing with a whole brand new batch. And you got to say, what is it that made you different this year? So as we're coming to a close of our episode today, uh, as we finish, do you have any parting words of advice or resources that you'd recommend for applicants who go unmatched that we haven't talked about already? So, you know, the process is, um, the process is difficult, is difficult. Um, it's not a reflection of you. It's not a reflection of, you know, what you're capable of. Um, it's, uh, you know, you could look at it as almost everybody, at least in my experience that didn't match, uh, goes on to become a, it goes into a highly uh, qualified and an excellent program in a different specialty because they're usually, you know, so highly qualified. So it's, 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 you just, you gotta just not, um, take it personally and, and, um, realize that, uh, sometimes that's just the way that things happen. Your, um, program director and the uh, auto department uh, should be an excellent resource for you to be able to help you decide on what's you know what steps that you want to take um, I think you should you should have a plan that says what am I going to do if it if I don't match uh, and then have just like all surgery I always go into surgery with plan a b c d and e and if I never get beyond plan a God bless. That's great. But sometimes I'm sitting there on plan E and I'm really glad that I had all these plans set up. So, you know, just sort of look at it. And if you're not sure, maybe talk to your program director beforehand and just have a whole bunch of plans. Because if there's very few students or very few applicants that don't match, 
and there's a lot of programs that um, have vacancies, and I think this happened one year, then your chance of matching in the SOAP process is exceedingly high. But if there's only one or two spots and there's 30 or 40 people um, that want to apply for that, then, you know, you may want to think maybe I should just jump into a different specialty at this point in time. Well, Dr. Wax, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk about this difficult but extremely important topic. Uh, I think it's been a great discussion and we really appreciate your experience and words of advice. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And um, I can tell you that I, I can think of many other topics that I would rather talk about than this particular one, um, but it's, it's necessary. And um, I'm hoping that everything turns out well for everybody. Well, that about wraps up today's episode. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for further episodes regarding applying to residency and ENT. Catch you next time.